This is Jason Cast. This is Scott Nearman. We are MP Local, where we want you to know that you are not alone. I tell you what, Scott, this business is not easy. It has its own unique challenges. This is not about bottom line only. This is not about profit only. We're about mission and changing communities in the nonprofit world. And that is why we started this podcast called NP Local. Hello, local listeners. This is NP Local, where we are here for you and you are not alone as an executive director, as a fundraising coordinator uh, in your local nonprofit. We are here for you. And I'm here today. This is Scott here with Amanda Squibb from Children, Friends of the Children in Klamath Basin, Klamath Falls, Oregon. How are you today, Amanda? Good. Thank you for having me, Scott. We are talking from a three-hour time difference, so we got Amanda up at the crack of dawn on the West Coast. Uh, I'm sitting here in East Tennessee. It's almost lunchtime, but uh, (laughs) we're glad to have Amanda. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Um, Longtime friend, Amanda and her husband, Philip, um, uh, moved out West, not native Westerners, uh, but now in in the great state of Oregon. She's been executive director of Friends of the Children there uh, since late 2016, she comes with some other nonprofit experience as an education director at Klamath's Ross Raglan Theater, where I understand she still likes to perform. She is, after all, a communications uh, theater major, uh, but she has a great passion for children's success. And that is, of course, the mission of Friends of the Children, a national organization. Uh, she also has experience as a board member, which I know as a nonprofit ED is, is helpful uh, to have that board member perspective. She serves on the board of Klamath Promise, the Ross Raglan Theater, the, help me here, Amanda, Chiloquin First Coalition. Is that correct? The Chiloquin First Coalition. And the Citizens Police Advisory Team. Thank you for your help. She works uh, and interacts regularly with their (laughs) State Department of Health Services there in her role. During her tenure, Friends of the Children in the Klamath Basin has increased total youth served by 40%. Established a full-time development position. Kudos to you for doing that. Launched the two-gen mentoring model, the mentoring model, I believe, that uh, Friends of the Children is known for, and begun planning a capital campaign project. Uh, She resides in Klamath Falls with Philip and their two children, all of which our family loves and enjoys getting together, those rare occasions that we do. So good to see you. Thank you for joining NP Local today, Amanda. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. Thanks for the introduction. Listen, we are talking and we've had a series, Amanda, I think you're aware of um, talking about the fundraising pyramid. And we did this really early on back when NP Local started in late 2020. Um, and, And recently we've talked about both the pinnacle of that pyramid and plan giving and, and those transformational kinds of gifts that are planned and often at the end of someone's life. We've also talked a lot about the middle. There's a research study that goes back uh, several years now, but it's called the missing middle. And it's how to get those first time donors to be recurring and, and move up to that more of a sacrificial giving level in the middle of the pyramid, which I think a lot of organizations struggle with. We focus so much on the top and the bottom, but we are talking uh, today about the bottom of the pyramid, which is special events, annual fund kinds of things. And Amanda, I understand you're have done an excellent job with a huge annual event out in uh, Oregon. Can you tell us about your your recent event and, and uh, a little bit about yeah. this? We want to talk about primarily special events today. 
great. Yes, we're, we're coming off the heels of our um, primary fundraising event of the year, which we call Friendraiser. Friends of the Children is the name of the organization, and Friendraiser is the name coined for the event because while we are raising funds, we're also trying to raise friends and awareness about the organization of Friends of the Children, um, which is, a, as you mentioned, a national nonprofit. We have 25 sites nationally and one in Klamath Falls. Um, and we are very, very rural. So I also kind of want to speak to the challenges oh, yes. of fundraising in a rural market. Um, but Friends of the Children has been in the Klamath Basin for 22 years. So Friendraiser is a well-established event. It looked a little different the past few years in the midst of a global pandemic. And um, what was once a 500 plus person event with kind of this open buffet style, we had, it was really kind of a taste of Klamath. We had food donated from local restaurants. Yeah, it was a huge, it was the biggest fundraising event in our, we're we're located in Southern, rural Southern Oregon. It was the biggest fundraising event around. So um, really well known, well established, and then had to pivot. Uh, and I, I think everybody in, in fundraising and development is so tired of yeah. that word, but that's really what we had to do <laughs> um, when faced with this. Well, we, we still very much need these funds for general operating. Um, what are we going to do? We cannot gather 500 people together. So in 2020 and in 2021, we pivoted to an entirely virtual format Um and, and that was actually, it, it went well. It was successful. The community really rallied around, you know, kind of this, our hands are tied. We, we really couldn't do anything about yeah. the fact that we, we can't gather and we're, we're trying to, you know, create something out of nothing. This past year, this, the, our fundraiser that was just a, a week ago now, um, we, we tried to do a hybrid event where we attempted to gather folks in um, larger spaces um, also streaming our auctioneer who was based in Portland. Oh, wow. Um, and then also recognizing some folks still don't want to gather in these, you know, larger gathered areas. And so we, we allowed home parties as well. So it was this kind of combination of a, a larger gathering, um, of, of people, folks in one place, and then streaming the auctioneer. And, um, so it was our first ever hybrid attempt, wow. um, and it, there, there were some real challenges. We had technology challenges. Right. We lost internet a couple of times. We, we had the um, we had 120 folks gathered in a space, this beautiful barn, a little bit out in the country. So we lost connectivity there a couple of times. Um, and then it was it was a little bit challenging to get folks to engage with an auctioneer who was on a screen as opposed to in the room, yeah. feeling the energy of the space. Um, recognizing when people were talking to their neighbors and a little bit checked out of what was happening. Um, So while the energy in the room was great and folks were so happy to be gathered together again, um, really looking forward to next year when we, you know, promised hopefully to be back to our large 500 person gathering. um, it, It did impact giving. I think that, you know, the ask, the paddle raise, um, it wasn't as compelling because you have that, uh, that kind of good spirited guilt when you're in a large space with folks saying, I'll give 500 and I'll give 500 too. Mm. Um, we just didn't have that kind of, you know, spirit of camaraderie and competition that we normally have in our live event. Um, and so I do think it, it impacted the the paddle race portion of the auction. Um, and then also just engagement with, 
with the auction itself, having that kind of separation yeah. um, and, and the show really being on a screen. So lots of important lessons learned, but I'm, I'm really proud of our team for, again, pivoting and being creative and finding solutions. Um, we had to make so many decisions about, um, because our event is so large, we had to make so many decisions logistically six, seven months ago, and we just couldn't predict that we'll be able to gather at that point in time. Um, so we made the best decisions possible with the information we had at the time. Yeah. Well, I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to that, especially if they're in an event planning role. It's been difficult for venues uh, to make ends meet. It's been difficult for those of us with all those challenges. But I, you know, my real experience with hybrid events has been more recently just the ongoing board meetings that way. And I think, you know, certain hybrid things lend themselves better than others. Uh, we're our organization's planning a golf tournament here in a couple of weeks. And of course, uh, that's not something you can do hybrid. We didn't really entertain that. Uh, but, uh, you know, we finally went back from boxed meals uh, at in-person gatherings to uh, to uh, serving yourself out of a buffet line now. And so, you know, we just, you know, try to make good decisions, try to be responsive to our constituency. And, and of course, none of them are going to uh, see eye to eye completely on, on the right answer, because at times like this, I don't know that there is completely clear answers, right. you know. I think we just really hope people recognize that we're, we're you right. know, we're doing the best with what we can, with what we have. And for the most part, you know, there, there is that understanding. Um, but I definitely think this year more than ever, you know, the first two years of the pandemic, there was great understanding around this is what you have to do. This we're on, yeah. you know, we're shut down. We can't do anything else. Um, this year it was a little bit different because the world was open, um, yeah. and so there were folks that said, we don't want any part of it if it's not what it used to look like. And then, you know, there were folks that still understood, like you had to make difficult decisions six months ago, who can predict the future. Sure. Um, but I think the other piece with the hybrid event that, um, was really apparent was you do, it, it does tend to ostracize some folks that aren't as technologically savvy. Um, and so right. I, again, like that, that impacts giving. Um, when, when it's not so, so easy to raise your paddle and someone takes down your bitter number and your credit card is charged um, when it when it doesn't work as easy as that, when it's on your yeah. phone or your computer or um, in the case of a hybrid event, it's a two device event. You've got to be streaming it on YouTube and then you, you're bidding on your phone. It makes it more complicated for folks mm. that um, maybe aren't as connected to their technology um, so we actually spent a lot of time during our hybrid event, our entire staff team. In fact, we were all on, on point to, to act as, well, as help helpers. Um, I had one individual come up six different times, a big giver, um, that I wanted to, him to be successful. And he was trying so hard. Um, he, he'd get logged out of our, um, greater giving platform. And, and so just recognizing that those challenges exist as well. Well, and you, I mean, you must have a great team to, to go all in on, on something that sounds very complex to me. And I've, I've not been that brave during the pandemic. We've been doing other things. <laughs> we did do a recognition. Well, we event. try to be innovative. <laughs> well, and, and I think you mentioned <laughs> we, it's the biggest fundraiser in the region. And so I think, you know, when you have an event like that, you don't want to lose your flagship uh, signature right. event. You don't want to lose the constituency. You don't want to lose the corporate sponsors. You don't want to lose the, uh, attendees, the the and and as you talked about the energy in the room or that that message and that energy that goes out. Um, Amanda, you talk about friend raiser. I believe you've titled the event a friend raiser, right? 
But uh, mm-hmm. I always like to define some events are for raising friends only and other events are for raising funds only. And then you've got these kind of blend kinds of things. There's there's really about four. Uh, I got out my old textbook, uh, front Fundraising Principles and Practice, you know, just for a good outline on um, on on special events. And they talk about four purposes. One is fundraising, as you've said, and the next is friend raising. They talk about identifying prospects. So we know that fundraising events are big galas, golf tournaments, but friend raisings is more like your open house and uh, maybe current constituents bringing a friend to a tour. Um, and then you've got other things, which I do a lot in our organization, do their more education or cultivation. And we've had some real success with smaller, more intimate gatherings, uh, sometimes even at a board member's home, uh, but just those small getting the right people in the room. Uh, we, we serve 10 counties and so we will do one per county uh, and kind of rotate those around because uh, even just 50 people in the room that have the right folks, the right entities, you may get advanced sponsors, you may not. Um, and then the other type of event is recognition, right? And awards, if you're giving somebody award, you're probably going to get that person to fill a table with their family. And so it, that's kind of a bring out an audience and I think of it really as kind of stewardship, um, but there's a lot of purposes of events, right? And so uh, you've sounds like you've had a pretty complex and integrated uh, event. You're just uh, you said you just were debriefing with staff, right? Yeah. Yes, and I would say also to your point about kind of the we've we've coined as like micro fundraiser events. Yeah. That was another you know really um, crucial fundraising component for us during the pandemic. Um, because we did really urge board members and ambassador board members to do something at your home, invite your friends in. Right. 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 And, and again, like, like you said, raising awareness about the organization. So if we can't, you know, gather and, and in these larger events and raise lots and lots of funds, we can, we can, we can raise awareness and we can educate the community about what the organization does. Certainly. And, and so we did, uh, we actually had an ugly, we usually have an ugly sweater run in the winter um, and we couldn't have an ugly sweater run. And so we encourage people to have ugly sweater game nights <laughs> at their house where they would wear their ugly sweater, send in a picture, get their friend, get their families um, and as big of a crowd as they were comfortable with and, um, yeah. and try to, you know, do some fundraising and raising awareness that way. So I think, again, it's just being creative and saying, what do we have to work with? Um, and, and also we really try to focus on what isn't, a uh, we, we have a tiny team. Um, we have our professional mentors who, you know, they're, they're paid salaried staff. Um, and they, they offer, they deliver the direct service to our kids and families. And then we have a really tiny administrative development team, which is myself and our development director, Anne. Um, so we try to do as, as much yeah. as possible with what little, you know, we have between the two of us. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, um, you know, how much money uh, is being raised. And, and I think the other thing that's important and the reason we've had several series here on MP local podcast is um, there's a different return on investment expected out of different types of events and, and certainly out of different types of fundraising. And so, you know, so I'm, I absolutely admire this event that you're describing and, and that I've seen on your website, but um, I'm not a huge fan after doing 20 years in the sector here, of special events generally, because I know the staff and volunteer time they take. And so I've been fortunate in, in some of the recent organizations I've served with 
to be able to focus on other, you know, major gifts, but your, your return, I mean, you got to do them, right? It's part of the pyramid. It's part of bringing people in. It's part of getting the message out. Um, and, and they have their place, uh, place and space, especially when you've got a signature annual event. Um, so I think every organization should have at least one signature annual event, but their return is expected is really just two to one. And they say that your costs for the event, uh, should be, you know, 40, 50% or less of, of the total. And that gets you that two to one return. Are you seeing that to be true? Um, and have you maybe in your career seen some times where you really blow that out of the water? Yes. And, you know, the, at that we talk about this and we have been talking about this, especially this year, um, because a hybrid is it's all of the complexities of an in-person event and the complexities of an, an online, totally yeah. virtual event. So we had all of the work still to do. Um, and we were working, I mean, our development director, Anne, was working 60 plus hour weeks for the last month leading up to the event. Right. And we, so we've talked a lot about the ROI. Um, but again, come back to it's called Friendraiser. We, 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 it's really important and crucial that we are still out there in the community, that we're raising awareness, that we're bringing new givers into the organization. Um, but we definitely have. We, we work hard to make sure that we have a good return on investment. We, we had a call list prior to the event. We were going through um, anyone who had given you know, over three or $500 over the past three or four fundraisers, trying to make sure we we at least knew they knew that the event was happening. They obviously received invitations as well. Um, so yes, really, really uh, strategic in regards to um, our projections and and how we're going to get there and who's going to be in the room. Um, and I had mentioned this before, and I, I think we'll probably get to this a little bit later too, but we're also really strategic in the items we procure for our live sure. auction. We have a really, really huge silent auction portion. I, portion. I think we had like 130 items this year, but our live auction, we really try to be creative around experiences and, um, things in the community or just outside of the community that are not, um, expensive for us to, you know, to, to pay for, like sometimes you can get trips through, I don't know, different corporations and, and you pay a lot out of pocket to procure the trip. Um, yeah. but this year we did, um, we, we offered some really cool experiences that just didn't cost us much, but they're really unique and folks wanted to pay, you know, a lot of money to have the opportunity to, to do those things and try those things. So we are really strategic around the items we procure, um, and, and those costs along the way. And we really try to, um, to keep our expenses as obviously like everybody does our expenses really low and the return really high. One of the, one of the, um, examples that I was just reading about was, uh, an organization and you're on the West coast. So maybe you'd have a chance at this. I wouldn't have a chance at this at all, but, uh, as a tour of Jay Leno's auto collection. So if you ever land Ooh. that, you let me know. And <laughs> I'll get with your husband. We'll pool our resources and uh, and figure out how to get a tour there. But uh, but yeah, I love when you, it. When you have an, a, a really exclusive or special experience like that, one of the things that I've seen here locally in East Tennessee is um, folks that have a, a that we're in we're, we're along the Tennessee River, right? And so boating is is very big. And so if you've got a distinguished community leader that will take somebody out on their pontoon boat, you know you kind of get that 
elected officials ear and you get a day on the lake. And so, you know, just kind of a unique thing that doesn't really cost a whole lot for folks to do. And, and I think when you get creative, um, I don't know that I will ever have uh, a tour of Jay Leno's car collection, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's, it, it's all about being creative and, uh, you know, doing as much as you can with as little yeah. <laughs> as we have. We did a, um, some of our more recent experiences. And one of the ones we auctioned off at Friendraiser was our, um, Klamath County Museum owns a trolley yeah. and we asked if we could use the trolley if the trolley driver could take around a group of 10 on small business Saturday the other thing we've really tried to do and especially during the pandemic is recognize the the strain on our small businesses and so we do as much as we can to promote small business um, and yeah. if we're going to ask for something we're also going to try to give something back um, and and that's really gone a long way too. Uh, within the community. Uh, and so we're, we offered a trolley ride on small business Saturday for a group of 10. We will provide uh, adult beverages or whatever they would like while they ride the trolley and, you know, shop. So again, like not an expense to us. We asked the museum to donate, you know, a couple of hours of, of the trolley driver's time. Um, and it, you know, it went for uh, around, I think 800. And so I, you know, just items like that, yeah. that yeah. we do as much of that as we possibly can. I, when I was in uh, Illinois, we had uh, uh, what's who's become a good friend of mine, a former major league player, and we would give a tour of his uh, memorabilia collection, and he would offer that up, and it'd go for a couple thousand dollars, and that was good for a small community. That's so cool. Uh, kind of an exclusive thing, yes. so I guess that was our Jay Leno equivalent. But uh, yeah, I think partnerships. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> you you mentioned those business partnerships, and interestingly, Amanda, that's actually one of the podcasts I have planned here. Uh, in the near future is uh, another guest of mine up in Chicago uh, that I'm going to bring on to talk about corporate partnerships. And I think when you're seen as that partner in the community, uh, that's, that's huge. And, and that builds that goodwill. And that's exactly what special events is about. It's not just about raising money. So while I, while I feel tired, when I think about special events, I, uh, I think that two to one return makes them worthwhile. You want to set your goals, listeners of getting, keeping those expenses down, partnerships, in-kind gifts are a way of doing that. Um, and then um, I think the other thing, you know, that you've alluded to, Amanda, that we haven't really talked about is um, just the planning involved. And so when you think about, I'm just going to run down a list here, you know, your purpose, um, you got to make a case for any fundraising you do. What is this money going for? Uh, who's going to be there? Who's your audience? Where are you going to have it? How are you going to promote it? What's a timeline? And that timeline's a big thing. Um, you know, you can use like a uh, a variety of online methods or just an Excel spreadsheet and build out your timeline, right? And a Gantt chart that shows how long things take, how many weeks or months out to plan. Uh, but that's very important, especially for small teams. Um, you're going to have a script. You know, I have a, a CEO or president that I often need to script and I work with his team to do that. Um, I've had folks that want me to script every 30 seconds, but I'm very fortunate now <laughs> that, that I'm working with somebody that is very good uh, off the cuff and can adapt that timeline. And I think that's really what you want to train your executives to do. Um, I've worked for folks before where they, they want it scripted every 30 seconds and then they immediately throw it off in the first five minutes of your event. It's, it's like, <laughs> thanks a lot, you know. You have food and drink at these events, like you've talked about. You may have transportation or, you know, even golf carts going out to the parking lot and helping folks get to the facility. Yep. How are you going to staff it? You've got volunteers. 
What's the budget? Are you selling tickets or is corporate sponsors underwriting it? And then that evaluation and debrief that's so important afterwards. Just a lot of angles here to think about. And, and so a lot of planning. And so I think for somebody like me that is not um, somebody that enjoys putting that timeline together, you need to surround yourself with people. You need to seek out the help. You need to find those tools or spreadsheet templates. Um, and uh, I'll try to I'll try to find some of those, put those in the show notes for our listeners. But uh, Amanda, I would suggest that you probably are on top of that super organized or your team is or you wouldn't be able to pull off such a hybrid event. Oh yeah, I I can't take the credit for this. We have we also have an incredible committee, um, a board development committee that you know we start planning for this event six seven months out, yes. and so many of them have been doing it for so long. And like I said, we continue to, to innovate, and um, we want to bring something new and fresh every year. That's really important to this event, um, and recognize we the, the community is watching us we know that other organizations are also taking pieces and ideas away from the event which I, I love I love that we can share in ideas and creativity and that you know it impacts other organizations in a positive way um, so I say you know the more the merrier sharing is caring um, and and again we're we're fortunate that we are a part of a national organization so our Portland chapter um, our mothership started friendraiser. Um, they, their chapter was established in 1993. Ours came along in 2000. So they've been doing it a little bit longer and we go up, well, before the pandemic, we would Mm -hmm. go up to their event and, um, and also look for, for new and fresh ideas. Um, so yeah, I I think that's a really important piece of, of how we're able to, you know, stay fresh and keep innovating, um, in this space, but then also having, like you said, a timeline, we have an internal document that we use, you know, by this month, you need to make sure you've secured this, that, and the other. By this month, you need to be working on this, thinking about these things. Um, I do see a lot of this shifting um, when we go back to um, our our entirely in-person event. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, this used to be a kind of a free-for-all taste of Klamath. We had um, student volunteers serving the food. Um, And I think that might look different when we move, you know, when we move forward. Will it be catered? Will um, will will we have plated mm, meals, yeah. which obviously will be an increased expense. So I do think there are things to consider moving forward. How, you know, I don't want to say in a post COVID world, because I think <laughs> we're living in it always now, but what, you know, what we need to be mindful of and thoughtful about so that folks feel totally comfortable coming to the right. event. Um, and like you said, we rely heavily on student volunteers. Um, our, one of our, one of our board members, husband was what he's retired now, but he was a superintendent. So she was really helpful in procuring those student volunteers. So we had to be mindful of graduation. We had to be mindful of all of this, you know, this, the school activities that were happening at the same time. So, so um, even setting the date, different calendar requires collaboration. Yeah. Yes. And that's, that's huge around here is setting dates that aren't conflicting. We we are in a really small market. Um, Resources are limited and recognizing it's a lot of the same 200 people that are at each of these events. And so we're really careful to try and be and be mindful of the fundraising calendar. And, um, and our date is, is well established. Um, the end of the end of May, early June is always when it falls. Um, but recognizing like that, that is a challenge in a, in a small market too, is, yeah. is other events happening around the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you so much, Amanda, we're coming upon time. Um, are you anything you want to share as a final takeaway for 
maybe those who are new to the sector or new to this big event that's scary and in front of them uh, here in the near future, and they're listening to this podcast, grasping for some nuggets of wisdom. Yeah, I would say, um, and you and I spoke about this a little bit, like nobody really anticipates being in these roles. (laughs) We more or less find ourselves in them. And um, I was terrified the first two, three, four years I did did this job. Um, I would just say, you know, just just keep, just keep working, surround yourself with great people, passionate people. They're passionate for the, you know, for the mission. Don't carry it alone. Um, and, and just, you know, be creative with, with what you have. I I think we're a great example of doing a lot with so little, (laughs) um, you know, small community, rural, um, we have a lot of poverty in our community and recognizing the barriers, but don't let those defeat you, um, that you can do it. Just, you know, keep pushing. I think also just in terms of, and this is like a whole other like rabbit hole, but, um, we wrote a grant for, um, for expansion in terms of a development director. And so finding creative ways to, to support the work and, um, and again, surrounding yourself with, with good, good people, um, and, and dedicated to, to the work. Well, there you have it. Uh, Amanda Squibb, Executive Director of Friends of the Children out in Klamath Falls, Oregon. We appreciate you. We appreciate you sharing your wisdom and and learnings. We'll put your uh, website in our show notes so folks have questions for you. Um, Maybe they can reach out to you. Thanks, Scott. And as always, uh, we appreciate our listeners. We're going to wrap up this episode of NP Local, where we are here for you and you are not alone.